Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. be in James chapter 2. If you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn there with us. James chapter 2. And my goal, my assignment is this, to help you understand what a practical atheist is. I play basketball in the mornings. I love playing sports. I love exercise. It's just always my whole life I played sports. And so I'm playing basketball one morning. And this guy has a CrossFit t-shirt on. You guys know what CrossFit is? Okay, if you don't, it's when they do lots of crazy exercises. It's like, and they're like, I mean, they're just going crazy. Like if, you, if you see people all dressed in sports attire, and they're going crazy and stopping doing push-ups and running and doing backflips and throw, you know, throwing tires, that's CrossFit. It's wild. Well, this guy had a CrossFit t-shirt on. And let me just be real with you. Everybody who's in CrossFit is fit. I mean, right? I don't do CrossFit. <laughs> I mean, they're really fit. And so this guy wasn't fit at all. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, you know, I mean, it just, I mean, it's kind of like me. He just wasn't fit. So he, you know, he had, he had some, some, a lot of roundness to him. He was, he, was, he was huffing and puffing on the basketball court, couldn't keep up. And so I just kind of asked, like, oh, cool, CrossFit. It's like, so, so you do CrossFit? He's like, no, nah, man, I don't do CrossFit. I, I, I just like wearing a T-shirt. My brother does it. <laughs> I was like, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> Total sense. But. Here's the truth of the matter. In our faith, many of us are just like that guy. We wear the t-shirt that says Jesus, but we don't practice it. We're like, no, nah, man, I don't, I don't really follow Jesus. I just, I just wear the t-shirt. I just, I just kind of go to church. And that's what James actually approaches in James chapter 2. He talks to a group of believers in the first century who just aren't living out their faith. They have it up here, but it's not being lived out practically in their lives. As we established before, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Just like Jude, we'll look at next month, means they had the same mama, Mary, right? But a different daddy. <laughs> Jesus' daddy was God. Mary was, you know, again, a virgin birth, those things. But uh, you have uh, the James' dad was Joseph. And so they were half-brothers. And that's um, what James was, was the half-brother of Jesus. And he, he writes to a group of people. We don't really know who specifically. We just know he writes to persecuted Christians among the churches. Now, what they would do in the first century was, if you had this whole letter, they didn't have chapters and numbers, okay? It was one complete letter in, in Greek. So it's just like one big, long document, right? No stops, breaks, paragraphs, nothing. And what they would do with these letters from the apostles, they would give it to a church, and the pastor would get up on, sun, on Sunday, when they'd meet, and he would read the whole letter, start to finish, all the way front to end. Now, you think you're tired now. <laughs> Could you imagine me reading all five chapters of James today and not giving any commentary on it? <laughs> well, that's what they did. And so they were dealing with some things in the, in the first century that where people were not living out their faith. And James deals with that. And I'm going to look at this in James chapter 2. We're going to walk through this verse by verse. And what you're going to notice is, is that when he begins to write this, he's dealing with prejudice in the local church. And in that day and time, prejudice in their local church, whichever church this was, the group of churches that got back to James was, they were looking down on people who were of less social economical class. So if, if you didn't have as much money, you didn't drive the Benz or the Lexus or whatever, you know, um, nothing wrong if you do, but if, if you didn't drive that, like, uh, well, you know, he drives the Yugo. I mean, he's just, you know, or he doesn't have the nice suit. And so, and they would actually make people sit on the floor and the back who didn't have the nice clothes, people who were rich actually got better seats, right? 
some churches do better parking spaces for those who have better cars. That happens. Um, um, and all that. But look what, what James says to them. And this is what they're dealing with. And this is how they're not living their faith out. But look at this in, in uh, verse 1, chapter 2. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor, well, doesn't that show discrimination or show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as is found in the scriptures. And he quotes that. He says, love your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus created that in the uh, gospel of Matthew when he spoke that to his disciples. Verse 9 says, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. He's laying it down for him, isn't he? Right? I mean, James is, is shelling or shucking the corn, shelling the beans. He's going to it. So here's what happens here. He says, verse 10, for, if, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you should not commit adultery also said you, should, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So he's showing them that you can't be a hypocrite in one area and good in the other. So look at verse 12. And this is where it really uh, starts changing. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful to you when he judges you. That's hard preaching, right? Like, try to grow a church just preaching that there. <laughs> Look what happens in verse 14. Everything begins, begins to shift and here's what he's really trying to say to them. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, <laughs> but you don't give the, that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? Now, don't you look at verse th uh, 17 here. Verse 17 is the crux of the whole message. This is the crux of this passage. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Verse 19 says, you say uh, you, say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, there's one God, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Now, let me explain something here. What James, and we're going to keep reading the last, the, the, the last uh, several verses. What James is saying here, he's saying that faith, true faith in Jesus produces good deeds and a life change. That when you really believe in Jesus as your Savior, it changes things. Now, if you read Romans and Galatians, okay, you read the book of Romans, you read the book of Galatians, Paul wrote that, and he says that man is justified by faith alone. 
By faith alone, you are, you are right with God. All right? And then James says, but you've got to have good deeds. And so when you look at these two books, as a matter of fact, here's what's cool about this. The, the guys who put the canon of Scripture together did not want to include the book of James in there. It almost didn't make it in. Because they were saying, this is so contradictory to what Paul was saying. And then you had some scholars that stepped up and said, no, 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 no. Here's what's happening. And let, let, me, let me explain to you. Here's what's happening. Paul was telling people you cannot be saved by obeying the 613 laws in the Old Testament. You know that boring stuff in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? It's very boring. Don't you know, boil a goat in its mother's milk or whatever. You're like, Ugh, I wouldn't do that anyway. You know, don't wear two types of clothing. No, okay, I'm good. Don't, yeah. That's the stuff that can't save you. And Jews were saying we can be saved if we obey all the laws. If we obey these, we can be righteous. And they were telling Gentiles, non-Jews, like me and you, you can be saved if you do this. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're made right with God by your trust in Jesus. And so when you read James, you're saying, but now isn't James kind of undoing that? No, no. James is not speaking about the law. If you notice in the New Living Translation, that's why I use this, he didn't say law, he said good deeds. Well, here's what James is making the point of. And he's going to use two examples that Paul uses. I love this too. So he must have heard Paul's teachings. They had, had to have because he was one of the, the council of, of the elders there. I don't know if he read his letters or not. But James actually uses two examples to show that true biblical faith produces godly action. Now I want you to watch this here. He says this in, in um, verse 21. Dude, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham, Romans and Galatians is all about Abraham. If you read Romans and Galatians, that's all Paul talks about Abraham, 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 was shown right uh, to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. So Abraham believed God, right? He trusted God, right? And then his actions followed that. Now watch this here. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. He's showing actions that represent a true faith. And look at verse 25. He even uses the same examples that other writers use. He says, Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Here's James' main thrust today. Don't wear the t-shirt if you ain't going to CrossFit. <laughs> if you go to CrossFit, you're going to look different, right? Let's be real. I mean, if I, if I started going to CrossFit, I would look different. He's saying if you've encountered Jesus, your life is going to look different. You cannot remain the same. You can't have the same language, the same lifestyle, the same things you used to do. Um, you will see life change happen. Now, let's be real. For some of us, it's a little slower than others, right? Some of us are slow learners. It's okay. It doesn't mean that automatically you're going to see just you know, everything change. But you will see a progressive work of the Lord doing something in your heart. And here's my big idea today. Becoming a practical atheist means you believe God's word but refuse to live it out. See, the term practical atheist was actually coined by an atheist. He, he wrote, a, this guy wrote a book called Atheism, The Case Against God. 
And here's what he said. He said, a practical atheist is someone who says they believe God exists. They believe God exists, but they live as though he doesn't. So you're literally a practical atheist. Now in your thinking you're not, but in your life you are. This is critically important for us in our generation, where we're at today in America, where we're at today in our culture. If you've not noticed, Christian is not actually a good term anymore, right? Many of us don't want to be associated with the term Christian because of what the media paints Christians out to be. And some Christians are mean, right? Some Christians are just like, like you like, God, please rapture them first because they're killing us. Oh, you know, that, that, that crazy church that's like, you know, like, you know, what, well, I forgot where it's at. But you know, like, you just see people on TV, you're like, no, that's not, what a, that's not what a Christ follower really is. I'm a believer, I'm a Christ follower. So we try to change the terms. But our, our world doesn't like us. Could you imagine if you were selling a product and the person didn't like you that was selling the product? Would you buy from that person? No. If I thought, and Kelly's not, if I thought Kelly's like some shyster trying to sell me something that, you know, I wouldn't buy from him. So number one, the culture tells us our product is bad and they tell us that we're, they tell the world we're bad. And so here's the deal. When you're a practical atheist, and most, and some people are, it hurts your witness to share the gospel. The culture already thinks that you're a shyster. They already thinks you're bigoted and narrow-minded and judgmental when they're doing the same thing to us. And then you're trying to share the gospel with them? It's hard to get that far, in it? And then add on top of that, the number one reason people say they don't come to church is because of hypocrites. Now, we're all hypocrites. Let's just be real, right? We're all. I mean, none of us are perfect in here. But the truth of the matter is there are many people saying they know Jesus, saying they believe in Jesus, but their life does not practice that. And like James was saying, your faith has to produce that. I was first really hit hard with this, this idea when my best friend played bass guitar in our band and we toured in a Christian band and I remember him coming to me and telling me the day that he renounced Christianity and he had been studying a lot of philosophy and things like that and we're still good friends this day, very intelligent individual and as I got to talking to him, I, was, I said, well, why did you denounce Christianity? And why do you believe that it's not real? He said, it's simple. He says, you claim to have the God of the universe living inside of you by way of the Holy Spirit. And you can't live any different than me. I'm nicer than most Christians in churches. They cuss people out. They're racist. I mean, he, he, and he was in the church. He was in, he saw it. He said, he said, my grandfather is a racist and a deacon. He says, that's not real. Christianity is just not real. Practical atheist helped turn my friend away from Jesus. And that broke my heart because he saw inside of me that something had to be real, right? It's like, Adam, you knew, you knew in me, you saw me. He's like, yeah. I think you're just brainwashed. And that was his response. The reason this is so important is because people's lives are on the line. That's why it matters. And it matters to God because, listen, God wants us to share the gospel. He wants people to be saved. He wants to break addictions. He wants to transform lives. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to do good things for people. He wants to save people. We have a good God, right? And the gospel is good. But when you have, again, people who aren't living their faith out... It then makes it harder on us. Here's what the Lord thinks about this. He says this in 1 Peter 2.11. Peter wrote this. 
He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Look at verse 12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Be careful to live properly among who? Your unbelieving neighbors. And he goes on permission to say, that, look man, when they look at you, they're going to they're look at God. And you really are God's representative. No pressure, church, right? No pressure. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said in Matthew 5, 16, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Being a practical atheist goes against all that. When we, when we don't live out our faith, and we don't let the Lord do a work in our hearts, then it actually damages the ability for us to be who God's called us to be. He called us to be salt and called us to be light. He called us to affect and help those around us. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Do you hear me? Because some of you are like, oh man, like, like you really think about, oh God, okay. Here's the deal. I, I, I talked with one of our thrivers a couple weeks ago. He said, I want his job. He was very rude to someone. Had, very, had, had right to be. He was very mean to them. He said he went back a week later and found that guy and said, look, I'm so sorry for what I did and what I said. Will you please forgive me? That was, that was ignorant of me. And the guy didn't know what to say. Because forgiveness isn't the world's dialogue. See, when it means to shine your light before men, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and everything you're going to do is be pristine and crystal clear. What it does mean is you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you're sensitive to the Scriptures, and you allow the Lord to shape your life. And that's what I've been praying this week. My prayer for you would be, and as a matter of fact, my son fell asleep in the car this morning, 19 months old, and if you have a young child, you do not, you do, you, you do one, does, one simply does not mess with a baby's nap schedule, right? <laughs> So I sat in the car and prayed and just really sought the Lord and just took time to really soak it in as he snored in the back seat. And, 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 and I prayed this morning that you would be sensitive to say, God, where is it that as a practical atheist, I'm not living up to what you've called me to do? And here's today three ways you can become a practical atheist. I'm going to spin it on you. And this is from James. Three ways to become a practical atheist. The first one is this, is from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Be very selfish. If you want to become a practical atheist, be very selfish. Look what James says. Verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? One of the ways we become practical atheists is just be selfish. What is the opposite of being selfish? Selfless. Good job, boys and girls. It's been, it's been people of sacrifice. People that say, I want to be selfless. Don't we all want to be that? I mean, is that what, what makes heroes? Heroes are sacrificial. Heroes are selfless. That's what the gospel is. When you and I, when we were born, we were just born with selfishness. You know that? You, you know, we're not born great people who get better. If you believe that, hang around upstairs in our nursery and watch kids fight over toys. Does anybody teach them to fight over toys? No, nobody teaches them to fight. It's not like, hey, hey, won't you fight and be selfish, please? Please, we're, just, we're begging you. But you're teaching kids to be selfless, aren't you? 
Because in our DNA, when, when, when we're born into this world, we are born selfish. And when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Christ, he wants to work in you to be selfless. Um, Philippians 2, uh, Paul said, look to others' interests more than your own. Care about others more than yourself. That's essential to the gospel. And James here says, what good is it if you are selfish and there's people in need and people who have things and, and, and you yourself have everything you want? You know the only cure to greed is generosity. Yeah. That's the only cure to greed. We're born greedy, selfish people. Let's just be real. I am. Very selfish most marital struggles are because one or both are being utterly selfish. Amen? That's where it comes from. That's why you teach your children to be generous. That's why you teach them the blessing of generosity. That's why we read to you the scripture during worship that God, God loves generous people. Because listen, if you're generous, God will be generous to you. But the less generous you are, the, the more selfish you are, the more God says, well, you keep your stuff I'll give it to this person over here who will give it to others. That's how God works. Don't get mad at me. It's what it says throughout the scriptures. And so if we're selfish, we can never help other people. If we're selfish, we look to ourself as God and ourself as king and ourself as that. That's why at this church, we teach you a principle. God gets the first and God gets the best. I refuse to give God what's left in all of your life. And friends, let me encourage you. If you have children, teach your children that. God gets the first, God gets the best. In this household, we refuse to give God what's left. See, listen, here's the difference. Give God your best overs, not your leftovers in life. Give God your best overs. That's, that's not being, that's when you're selfless. You say, God, whatever I can do, whatever I can do for your kingdom, I'm going to do it. Here's the second way you can become a practical atheist from James. And if, if you get upset, please get mad at James about this. Like you can, you know, um, his email is james at thrivechurch.me. You can email him all the things you don't like about his message, his, his, his passage here. Um, the second one is this, justify your inaction. Justify your inaction. Write that in your notes. And James 1.18 says, this. Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, as what James said, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. There were people in that congregation or the congregations that letter went to who were justifying the reason they weren't helping others. Oh yeah, they've got faith and they've got, I've got faith and they've got good deeds. I don't have to good, have good deeds because I have a lot of faith. They're making it, is that, is that totally irrational, right? Am I the one who thinks that? Totally irrational. But they were justifying their inaction. Oh, I don't have to live out my faith. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I don't have to. Let's be real in here. You are under grace, not the law. Amen? Is that not good? God gives you what you do not deserve. God has saved you, not based on your good works, not based on how awesome you are, not based on how many Sunday school classes you attended, not based on how much the Bible you've read. And that's beautiful. God saved you by his amazing grace, as we sing. It's awesome. But if you've encountered grace, and we're going to talk about this in Jude coming up, you're not going to have the mindset of, I don't have to. You're going to say, man, I get to. <laughs> 
God has saved me. He's redeemed me. He's been so good to me. I want to live this out. I want to live it out so the world can meet this awesome Savior that I have. Grace empowers you. Grace infuses you to live out what Jesus has done for you. And they were justifying in action. Justifying. Let me ask, ask this. What excuse would you give if somebody asked you, why don't you put God first in the areas of your life? See, we're, we're masters at justifying in action, right? We are. We're masters of justification. We're so good at that. But let me ask you, if somebody come to you and said, why aren't you putting God at first in those areas? Whatever area that is, how would you justify your activity? And here's the third and final way. We can become a practical atheist. It's being, be convinced that believing is just enough. Be convinced that believing is just enough. James 1, 19 and 20, uh, excuse me, 2, 19 and 20 says this. Say, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. James says, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless. He puts them on blast. They're like, hey, James, 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 we believe in God. You know what James says? Like the church lady. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> I'm glad you believe in God. <laughs> Just believing in Jesus is not enough. Just saying, I mentally believe in this guy and a cross and he died 2,000 years ago and, and all that's not enough. You know the Bible never tells you to accept Jesus in your heart? Not, not one time in scripture the Bible ever say accept Jesus in your heart. Never. Never. You never hear the apostles in the book of Acts say, accept Jesus in your hearts, church. And 3,000 accepted Jesus in their heart. They never said that. But they did say, it does say, it says, repent, submit to the lordship of Jesus. Repent and submit to the Lord. See, that's not popular preaching this day and time. I may be dressed in jeans, but I'm like an 80-year-old man up under here. You just don't know, right? <laughs> because here's the thing. If you only mentally believe in Jesus and you don't submit your life to him, you'll never see the life change that he promises. It's beautiful. People ask me all the time, like, because, you know, I, I, I was doing drugs and drinking. I was wild, man. I mean, I, I, was, I was a wild, wild, wild kid. Kicked out of colleges, universities. I did stupid stuff I wish I'd never done. I'm going to tell you something. People say all the time, can you talk to so-and-so? I have a cousin, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, son, daughter that's addicted to drugs. Can you talk to them and help them? I say, I can't help them. Why not? You're the pastor. I said, here's why. I never went to a 12-step program. I've never done any of that stuff. I went six steps one time to like Narcotics Anonymous and I didn't make it through. Quit. My dad had to pay all this money because I didn't finish all that. But when I went and surrendered my life to Jesus, I surrendered my life to Jesus and my life changed. I mean, I completely sold out for Jesus. Completely gave my life to Jesus. I just didn't say, yeah, I kind of believe in that dude. And yeah, yeah, I'll come to church and hang out. I'll believe and hang out. I just laid it all down the line. I said, Jesus, I'm yours. I totally give every, you have, you tell me what you want in my life and here I am, Lord. That was in March 1st, 1999. I'll never forget that. Now, was I perfectly and instantly made 
this awesome person know. I got fired the same week for cussing out my boss and busting the window out of a front end loader. It wasn't. I'll tell you something. My life began to change the more I surrendered and submitted to God's word and God's presence and began to give my life and surrender to him. You can't just believe. And here's my fear. And here's, as your pastor, and if you're just here for one day and you're not coming back, that's fine. I'm your pastor today. As your pastor, here's my biggest fear. Is that many of us believe in the God on the cross, but have never surrendered our life to him. We've never laid everything down and said, Jesus, everything I own, everything I have is yours. Take it. My mouth, my eyes, my heart, my mind, it's all yours. I give it to you. That's Christianity. That's following Jesus. And James says, if you have a life that doesn't reflect the gospel, it may not be true faith that you have. I don't know. I can't judge you. Understand what James says. And here's why that's important. To wear the t-shirt... <laughs> But not do it does more harm than good. Does more harm than good. My dad, who passed away a few years ago, some of you were here and you knew, knew that. I lost my mom and my dad two years apart. I never forget, my room was, was right near, right after I got saved, it was right near where the telephone was at, and Dad would answer all his work phone calls, and he was a VP of a company, he had a lot of concrete plants under him, and I'll never forget one day, he was on the phone with a guy. And my dad, I'd been challenging my dad about faith and talking about faith to him. My dad was obstinate. You get, I don't know evangelists in my house. My dad cussed me out. I'll never forget. He's on the phone. He's talking. He said, yeah, that, that Bruce, he claims to be a Christian. He's a deacon at the church. And he's, G, you know, he's GDing out there. And he's doing this and doing that. And talking about all the words that Bruce said and all the things, the jokes he was telling. He says, he says, man, I'm just as much a Christian as he is. Yeah, I don't believe in that junk. And I'm sitting there on my bed and I begin to cry and pray for my dad. And I realized at that point, as a young believer, how much somebody who wore the t-shirt but didn't live it out was doing harm to those around them. Now here's the opposite side of that. When we played in our, in our punk rock band, we played in a Christian hard punk band. You probably hate the music, but we played in the worst places in America. We played in and we played a nasty place and these people hated Jesus. I mean, they even had tattoos that said it, guitar straps. One guitar strap said eternal life would suck. Excuse me, that's what they said. They would make fun of Christians on stage. And we would go out and play with these guys. I'll never forget, one guy pulled me aside after a show. We were all hanging out. He said, you know, I hate blanking Christians. I can't stand them. But I like you guys. And I don't know what it is, man, but something's different about you guys. And I want to say, man, that I really respect you. Now, coming from an atheist punk rocker who hates God and all their songs are against God, that's huge. And at that point, I realized that how we carry ourselves really matters to the world around us. What, what pushed me over the edge for Christianity was this, and I close here. I had a friend named Eric, and, and, and Eric and I were the worst of the worst together in high school. We were best friends, and he gave his life to Jesus. He surrendered to Jesus, and I didn't know what all that meant. I, he's religious. He did. I don't know what he did. He doesn't drink, smoke, and do all that stuff anymore. He doesn't party. He just kind of, you know, I don't know what he does. I didn't know what that meant. But Eric hung out with me. And I saw in his eye, he looked different. He just looked different. I was like, man, something, what is, I was like, man, you're like a different person. He smiled. He was joyous. He was happy. 
and he was nice to me. And Eric would share scriptures with me. He would challenge me about the gospel. And I wanted what Eric had. I wanted what my friend had. I could see it in him. And I gave my life to Jesus three months later after he gave his life to Jesus. I shook the whole town up, man. <laughs> they couldn't believe Kevin Bordeaux gave his life to Jesus. Couldn't believe that he's just living for Jesus. Listen, there are people out there who need you and need your testimony. They need to see what it means to love Jesus. Not be perfect, but to love Jesus. They need to see the gospel lived out. And here's the deal. You can go stand in your, your garage today. Don't you stand in the center of your garage and go, vroom, vroom, vroom. And go down to the DMV and say, I need a license plate because I'm a car. And they're going to look, look at you like you're crazy. You can't sit in church week after week t-shirt and then say you're a follower of Jesus. I think some of us today, the Lord wants to do some heart work in us. Where is it in your life today that you would say, God, I believe that this is causing me to become a practical atheist in these areas. Maybe it's language. Maybe it's the jokes you tell at work. Maybe it's something on the internet you're watching. Maybe it's being angry to your spouse all the time. Listen, God's not mad at you. God loves you and wants to help you. And he wants to let his grace, his amazing grace, empower you today. And he wants the world to see believers who are full of light and full of salt. And the same way I looked at Eric and said, I don't know what you got, man, but I want it. That's what he wants us to be like to the world. Amen. I want to pray for you guys today. If you will, pray with me. Father, we thank you. For James chapter 2. We thank you for the letter of James that you inspired the Apostle James to write. God, today we pray that you would help us in here by your amazing grace to be able to have faith that produces good deeds. Lord, today as we surrender and we submit to you, that you would empower us reflect your glorious light to the world. God, I pray right now that there are people, there are believers, people who are truly trying to follow Jesus, that today you spoke to their heart. Some things popped up in their hearts. They're saying, you know what? I have got to deal with this. I have got to have this handled. Lord, today I pray right now that you would touch their hearts. That you would empower them to live out this beautiful, glorious faith in you. Now, as we're praying here, church, and we're all praying together, maybe today you've come to thrive. And today's the day you want to surrender your life to Jesus. I made this decision March 1st, 1999, 17 years ago. And I've been on a journey ever since. And maybe today is your day to start that journey. Maybe today you're saying, I need to, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to repent and turn to him and give him everything of my life. I want Jesus to be my Lord. I believe and I want to serve him with all that I have. And I'm ready to make that decision. If you're in here today and you know that today is the day 
for you to do that. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. And the first step is just slip your hand up between me, you, and God. Say, that's me, Kevin. Amen. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. That's me today. Amen. Right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a confession of faith. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer of confession with me. Say, Father God, I admit that I am a sinner. I know it. But I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he rose again to wash away my sins. Today I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins. And I want to make Jesus my Lord. I commit to live for Jesus best I can all the days of my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Today, listen guys, there were several people who made a decision for Jesus who said, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit. Amen.